Before Joel comes and, and uh, unpacks the message uh, uh, today, last weekend, you know, we had this great moment of celebrating Joel and his new role. It was really, really great. The bummer was there was nobody in this building. Uh, the bummer was we, we, we just couldn't celebrate him the way we, we wanted to. And uh, we're going to, but we just couldn't do it last weekend. Well, his home group got together and they did something really, really special. And we got all of the tapes and you know, uh, you know, calls and, and photos and stuff and we put it all together. And before Joel comes, I want you to see what his small group did for him because it'll bring joy to your heart, I guarantee it. Watch this. <laughs> Well, good morning again, Big Valley Grace Community Church family. Welcome to our service online. I just want to say thank you. That was really cool. Thank you to my small group. Uh, just throwing a car parade for my family, and they brought gifts to my kids and balloons, and they just they made it basically a, a car party, you know, out in the middle of the street for my kids, and that was really neat. Thanks for celebrating me in that way. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you to everyone who, we, my wife and I literally have received hundreds and hundreds of texts and emails and phone calls and handwritten letters, and from my wife, Sarah, and I, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for encouraging us. It, it really means a lot to receive that encouragement, and uh, it's just a great affirmation. So thank you, church family. I really appreciate uh, our elder board and what our chairman of the elder board spoke about last week and our transition team, the chairman of our transition team, and, and Pastor Rick. I just, it, was, it was really affirming, and it was really encouraging, and I just, we really feel, my wife and I really feel blessed, and so thank you. You know, today, this weekend, it's the beginning of Holy Week, and as Pastor Rick shared, there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of online opportunities for us to be uh, celebrating Holy Week together, and today we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry, and so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21, and you know, many of our groups have been watching online and then meeting online and my small group that my wife and I are a part of meets Sunday nights. Last Sunday night, we had our first online small group through the, the Zoom app. And it was, really, it was really great. It was so great for my wife and I to see uh, the other families and for us just to connect in that moment via video. It really felt like a long time since we had been with our small group. 
And I would encourage you to do the same. In fact, you can go to bvg.org forward slash life groups and you can sign up for a life group. And on the website, you can uh, filter by location. You can filter by campus, series campus, Modesto campus, online campus. And this is a great moment for you to get involved, maybe to register to be a part of an online life group, maybe to register to host an online life group. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Those are going to launch after Easter. And we really want you to have the opportunity to be in community in that way. Um, you know, this, this moment here that we're going to look at, this triumphal entry, it's really a picture of celebration. It's a picture of celebration of victory. I want you to think about, for a moment here, the Olympics. And at the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, there is the parade of nations. And you have all of these athletes who are wearing the colors of the country and the flag. They're they're carrying the flags. And all of these athletes, they come in, and it's this enormous celebration. And really, the, the point of it is to really celebrate the future victory that they desire to have. And, you know, every one of those athletes, those Olympians... They want to be on that podium, that Olympic podium. They want, to, they want to have that gold medal placed around their neck. And you know, another moment I think of that has this triumphal entry feel is the Super Bowl. When you have these two teams from the Super Bowl and they come, you know, rushing onto the field and the players and there's smoke and there's confetti and it's just a big party because all of these athletes, they want one thing. They're going after one thing and that's to win. And they want that Super Bowl ring. You know, that idea of of rushing into competition, it has really penetrated all of sports, all the way down to youth sports, to where I love, you know, watching my boys in their high school football team, you know, run out of the tunnel and break the banner and and run out onto the field because they want to win. They're they're looking to win and they want to celebrate, celebrate victory. You know, all of us desire to celebrate victory. I was at my house. I was actually preparing for our time together in the scriptures today. And I was downstairs and from upstairs, I heard an eruption. It sounded like a stampede was happening in my house. I looked up, you know, to the ceiling, you know, which was holding up the the second story. You know, I just imagining one of my, you know, man children just falling through the ceiling in that moment. They were, they were screaming and they were hollering and they were pounding. And then all of a sudden they come, you know, busting out of their room. They come running down the stairs, all of these large men filling the stairway. They're yelling and they're screaming, they're yelling and they yell, mom just got her first kill in Fortnite. And I was like, mom killed who, where? Man, this stay at home thing, it is impacting people in a crazy way. But my kids were in that moment, they were celebrating victory and they entered into the downstairs area triumphantly because their mom had won in a video game. You know, all of these ideas of celebration and triumph, whether it be Olympics or the Super Bowl or in youth sports or things we celebrate in our family. My family celebrates lots of stuff. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate gotcha days. We celebrate adoption days. We celebrate anniversaries of special things. Really, as we look at this triumphal entry, really it has a different flavor even from all of that because it's a picture of war. It is a picture of the triumphal entry of war. 
where there is a returning king who has defeated the enemy and is restoring peace to the land. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11 and 14 through 17. And then we're going to take the, the other three Gospels, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're, to, we're going to interweave them together so that as we process through this historical account, we can see all of the perspectives and all of the details that are gleaned from each of the Gospel writers. And so let's begin. This is Matthew 21, verses 1 through 2. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And so why is Jesus coming to Jerusalem? Why was there a a group of people coming to Jerusalem? Well, it was a festival. It was a, a festival celebration of what is called the Lord's Passover. And to understand the Lord's Passover, this week I would encourage you to read Exodus chapter 12. Because Exodus chapter 12 is the cultural, it's the historical biblical context, the backdrop for what, a, what Holy Week is really all about. It's, it's the, 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 the initial forecasting towards Holy Week and what Jesus would accomplish during this week. But I want to read to you a few verses out of Exodus chapter 12 because it'll help us understand why Jesus and his disciples were coming into Jerusalem in this moment. I'm going to read starting in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over your door. And will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So in this moment, Moses is receiving this instruction from the Lord. He's now going to give it to the people of Israel to say, you take this lamb. You're going to kill this lamb. You're going to take the blood of the lamb. You're going to put it on the top of the door. You're going to put it on the sides of the door. Because there's a plague of death that's going to come through. And if your house has this blood over the doorposts, then the destroyer will pass over your house when he sees the blood. The blood is a protection against the destroyer bringing this plague of death. But for everyone who didn't have the blood on those doorposts, the destroyer was going to kill the firstborn in that house. And so it's the Passover, it's the Lord's Passover that's being celebrated. Then there's a command that says in verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And so when we come into now Jesus and his disciples, they're coming to Jerusalem. It is in honor and celebration and remembrance of the Lord's Passover. And so you would have Jews bringing into Jerusalem a lamb, their Passover lamb to kill 
in remembrance and celebration of the Lord's Passover. But here's what's really incredible about this moment with Jesus and his disciples is that Jesus enters not to bring, but to be the Passover lamb. Jesus and his disciples don't enter to bring a lamb. Now his disciples didn't understand this, but Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus came to be that Passover lamb. In fact, when John the Baptist, when he, when he sees Jesus in John 1, verse 29, he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was entering Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week as the Passover lamb. In John 12, 12, we, we, we use the other gospels to fill in details here. It says, the next day, a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming from Jerusalem. You see, the crowd understood who Jesus was. They had heard what he had done. In fact, yesterday I was thinking about in the gospel of John, all the accounts that Jesus had performed such incredible things just here's a few of them. In John chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine. There was people there. They saw him perform that miracle. In John chapter five, uh, Jesus heals the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. There was people there. They saw him do that miracle. In John chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000. There was people there. They saw him do that miracle. In John chapter nine, Jesus heals a man that was born blind and there was people there who saw him do that miracle. In John chapter 11, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead and there was people there and they saw that miracle. And in this moment, the large crowd, they had come to see the miracle worker and they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem and Jesus draws a large crowd in Mark 11, verse two, it says, and he said to them, now he's speaking to his disciples, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. So Jesus is giving them instructions. He foresees what they're gonna find when they go into this village and he gives them these instructions. And what's unique here in this moment is that no one had ever sat. No one had ever sat on this colt. This cult, the purpose of this cult, it was created for the glory of God for this moment right here, that it might hold the returning king who had defeated the enemy and was gonna restore peace to the land. And he would ride upon this cult that had been created for this very purpose. So back in Matthew in 21, verse three, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So Jesus is using this moment as a teachable moment with his disciples to teach them to call upon the will of God and to, to see things as whatever it is that the Lord would want to have happen, to appeal to God's will. What if we saw all of our possessions as available to God like that? Everything we own, everything we have, that it, at any moment it could be appealed to the will of God and be at God's disposal to be used. However, God would please. In Mark 11, verse three, it says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. I love this, that Jesus is gonna borrow this cult for a season, but then he's gonna send it back and he's gonna restore it. And it helps me understand something. It helps me understand that everything we have, God has given to us. Everything we possess is a gift that God has given to us. 
and he wants us to give it back to him willingly and then trust that he will be our provider and that he will show up and he will provide in the way that we need. And I think it's really cool in this moment here, we see that Jesus has given a cult to somebody. He's gonna ask for it back, but he wants them to trust that he will provide and he's gonna send it back to them. In Matthew 21, verses four and five, as we continue in the text, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So the, the going into the village and finding the cult and all of that, that's, it was foretold by the holy prophets in God's word hundreds of years before it happened. And so this moment is happening to fulfill prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You can see that in Isaiah 62, 11 and Zechariah 9, 9. Those where that prophecy comes out. And so God speaks in this moment, way before it happens, that there's gonna be this incredible scene where behold, your king is coming to you on a donkey. In John 12, verse 14, we fill in more details and it says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I love this, fear not, daughter of Zion. Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is children of Jerusalem, children of God, children of Israel. Don't be afraid. You're the chosen people. Don't be afraid. Salvation is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. So Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples, go into the village and, and you're going to find a donkey and you're going to find it and we're going to bring it to me. Well, in Matthew 21, 6, we see what happens next. It says the disciples went. They went and they did as Jesus had directed them. Simply the disciples obey in this moment. In Mark 11, four and five, we see this. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street and they untied it. And some of those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? So the disciples do exactly as Jesus say. And then they are questioned just like Jesus said they would be. And then the disciples answer in the way that Jesus had prepared them to answer. We see the answer in Luke chapter 19, verse 34. And they said, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of the donkey. And here's another perspective from Mark chapter 11, verse six. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. So they, they, they give the, the answer that Jesus had told them to say. And then the owners of the cult, the people observing that they were taking them, asking, what are you doing? They let them go. And so the disciples respond in obedience. The owners of the cult respond in obedience. We continue in Matthew chapter 21, verse seven. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And so the disciples are literally taking out off their outer garments and they're laying their garments on top of the animal, the beast of burden, so that Jesus would be sitting on the cloaks on the colt. In Luke 19, 35, we see this. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. This is incredible because from this perspective, we see an important detail. And this is right here. They set 
Jesus on it. The disciples in this moment have an incredible privilege. They literally lift up the returning king who's defeated the enemy, who's going to restore peace to the land, and they set him on his royal mount. It is a great contrast to what would happen five days later when the Roman soldiers would pick up the returning king who had defeated the enemy, who was restoring peace to the land, and they would crucify him on a cross. An incredible privilege that these disciples had to lift up the Messiah in this moment. And so we continue on in Matthew chapter 21, verse eight, and it says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So people are seeing what the disciples are doing and then others in the crowd, they're taking off their outer garments and they're laying it down on the ground and others are, are cutting branches and they're laying it on the ground. We find another detail in Mark chapter 11, verse eight, and it says, and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. So they're going out into the fields. They're finding what they can. They're bringing it back. They're laying all these cloaks, these branches, these leafy branches on the ground. Why? What, what is happening in this moment? They're rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. They're rolling out the red carpet for the returning king who has defeated the enemy, who's gonna restore peace to the land. This is an incredible, incredible moment here. In Matthew 29, 21, verse nine, it says this, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. Now they're starting to yell. Now they're starting to, to sing out, to scream, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is right out of Psalm 118. And it's a Psalm describing the Messiah and the crowds in this moment, they, they take this psalm, and they apply it to Jesus. In Luke 19, 37 and 38, we see this. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is right out of Psalm 118, verse 26. And it is all to point to this moment to say, may God be glorified by what is happening here because the king is returning and he has defeated the enemy and he is restoring peace to the land. In Mark chapter 11, verses nine and 10, it says this, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father. Hosanna in the highest. They are celebrating the line of David. They're celebrating the messianic fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus that Jesus would be the one that they have been longing for for so long. In John 12, 13, it says this, so they took the branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And get this, even the king of Israel, the crowd recognizes in this moment that the true and right king of Israel is present. He is the returning king who has defeated the enemy, who's restoring peace to the land. Now, you need to see some irony here because when a king in that time would show up into a town, it would look so different than what's happening with Jesus right now. 
And the irony is this, is that there is no chariots going before him. But a king from that time, when they show up, there would have been chariots. There was no warriors on horseback going before him. But a king in that time would have had warriors on horseback. There was no army and military force and heralds screaming out, long live the king, going before him. But a king in that time would have had that great irony. What do we see instead in Jesus? And as it is described in the biblical text, is that he is humble and it's lowly. Humble and lowly. We see in Matthew 21, our our text continues here. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So there's confusion. Who is this? What's happening? What's going on here? Who is it that has just entered? Now, when we kind of skip forward in the Matthew 21 passage, we find out what takes place when Jesus actually enters into the city. In verse 14 and 16, we find this. And the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple... Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. So the kids are crying out and worshiping and the religious rulers are super angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. He's quoting Psalm 8 verse 2. We see from Luke's perspective another angle in Luke 19, 39 through 44. It says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them praise you as God in this moment. That's what they're telling him. Have them stop. And he answers, I tell you, if these were silent, if these people, if these young children weren't to praise me right now, the very stones would cry out. Think about that. If there was not people to praise Jesus in this moment, the rocks would praise him. The very stones would cry out because he is the returning king and he's defeated the enemy and he's restoring peace to the land. And when he drew near and he saw the city, it says that Jesus looks and he weeps over the city, And he says, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So he's, he's seeing Jerusalem and he's recognizing that they're missing it. They're missing him. They're missing the returning king who's defeated the enemy, who's going to restore peace to the land. They, they're not seeing it. But now they're hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What is Jesus saying here? Well, see the whole scene. There is a triumphal entry Right? There's the donkey and the colt. There's the palm branches. There's people worshiping him and singing out to him. He comes into the city and he performs incredible miracles again. He's healing the blind and the lame. And the religious leaders again are getting angry and they're getting upset. And they're showing how so many people miss the fact 
that Jesus was the Messiah. And so what does Jesus do in this text? He actually pronounces the destruction of Jerusalem. And the reason he gives of why it's going to take place is because they missed him. They missed Jesus. So we see in Matthew 21, verse 17, kind of rounds out the passage, our core passage we're looking at. It says, and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now we want to get a little bit more detail from the gospel of John of what takes place in this moment. And in John 12, 16 through 19, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. His disciples who had been with them that Jesus had taught, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't even get in that moment what was taking place. But when Jesus was glorified, so Jesus is, is lived on earth, he enters into this holy week, he dies on the cross on Friday, he's buried, he's raised to resurrected new life on Sunday, he appears to more than 500 people documented in the scriptures, and then he ascends to heaven in glory at the right hand of the Father. It says when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It says the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So all these people who had seen Jesus perform miracles, they're continuing to testify about who he is after Jesus had been glorified. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. And so now we see the perspective of the religious leaders, and it just sums it all up, how they saw this situation. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you see that you're gaining nothing. Do you see? You're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Do you see you're gaining nothing? The world has gone after Jesus. Yes, that's the point, is that the world would come and follow after Jesus. That's the whole idea is that Jesus would draw the world to himself to follow him. So we've seen this scene. We've seen the text. We've looked at all four gospels. Now I want to bring out what are the reasons that Jesus, why is this such a triumphal entry? And I think you're going to see you already know what those reasons are as we look at it here. That when he comes into Jerusalem, it's so triumphal. We're going to look at three reasons and we're going to make application. The first reason is this, is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem as king. He's the king. He's the returning king. Some accepted Jesus as king and others rejected Jesus as king. In Matthew 21, verse 5, we see in the text, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. In Revelation 19, 16, it describes Jesus in this way. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So of all the kings, Jesus is the king of all the kings. And of all the lords, Jesus is the Lord of all the lords. And so the question that I have for you, that you would consider for yourself, is that have you accepted Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over your life? Have you accepted this returning King 
as king of kings and lord of lords, as the sovereign ruler of your life. The second reason that the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was so triumphal is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem as conqueror. He has defeated the enemy. And you may be saying, well, where's where's the battle? Where's the battle in this scene? Oh, the battle started long before this scene. In fact, if you want to do some homework, I'd encourage you to check out Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, you'll see five I will statements that are from the enemy, that are from Satan, that initiate this battle. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 28, you'll see the pride of Satan that initiates this battle. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and you read the curse that God gives to the serpent, you will see that God curses Satan promising to crush the serpent's head. Oh, the battle had been brewing for a long, long time since right at near the beginning of creation. And in this moment, Jesus enters Jerusalem as king, but also as conqueror because he defeats the enemy. You see, in 1 John 3b, we see this. We see that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? He came to destroy the works of the devil. He is the conqueror. Jesus came to die on the cross, to pay the sins for the entire world, to be buried, to raise to new life, to defeat the enemy. It's why he came. And I I have a question for you. Are you recognizing Jesus Christ as the conqueror in your life? Are you recognizing that he is the one who defeats the enemy for you? That he is the one who battles on your behalf? That he is the one who brings victory to you? Do you recognize Jesus as the one who will defeat sin and death in your own life? Because he is the returning king who has defeated the enemy. The third reason that Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly is that Jesus enters Jerusalem as Christ. He is the one who is going to restore peace. In 1 Timothy 2.5, we see that he is the one mediator between God and men that through the cross, through his reconciliation that we have relationship with God. And it's only through Jesus Christ. We see from the text in Luke chapter 19, 41 and 42, it says when he he drew near the city and he saw the city that he wept over the city. He's crying over the city as he sees it. And he says, would you even now had known on this day the things that make for peace? What does this mean? It means that when Jesus sees those who are missing out on him, it breaks his heart. And he weeps and he cries over those who are missing the peace that he offers. The peace that he brings as the Christ who would restore us to right relationship with God. In Romans 5 verse 1 it says this, Therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by placing faith in Jesus Christ and him alone that we can have peace with God. Are you ready to have peace with God? Are you ready for Jesus to be the one who is the reigning king in your life? The one who will be the conqueror of sin and death in your life. The one who will be Christ, Messiah, Savior in your life. The one who will bring peace into your life. Are you ready to receive the peace of God that God wants to give you as a gift? In Acts 16, 31, it says this very simply. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I want to do this together. If you're ready right now, and I don't know where you are. I know we have people who literally are watching all over the world because we see the locations of everyone who's logging in, whether it's on our website or it's on Facebook. And I don't know where you are right now, but God knows where you are. And if you right now are ready to have the peace of God, fill your life. You're ready for Jesus to come in and be the returning king, the one who's defeating the enemy and who's gonna restore peace to your life. I would encourage you in this moment right now to bow your head. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Let's pray together and let's let God know, Lord, we want you to be the one to bring peace into our life. Father God, Lord, we bow our head before you. We bow our hearts before you. We humble ourselves before you. And God, right now, Lord, I know there's a lot of different people who are watching in this moment, but Lord, I believe that there's one or 10 or 100 people who right now, they want to receive you, Lord. They want to welcome Jesus Christ to triumphantly enter into their own life. That he'd be the king and the conqueror in Christ. That he'd return from defeating the enemy and restore peace to their life. And so, Lord, in this moment right now, God, we want to, we want to say to you, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. God, I pray for every person, Lord, who is in prayer right now before you, that they would know that you love them, that God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, Lord, that you love them and that you care about them and that you want to bring peace to them. And so, Lord, in this moment, all of us who are praying right now, God, we're going to simply do this. We're going to simply believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so, Lord, we express to you right now and everybody who's praying, do this in your own heart and in your own mind right now and express it and mean it to God and say, Lord, we believe in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Lord, we welcome the peace of God into our life. Lord, we recognize Jesus as King And we recognize Jesus as conqueror. And we recognize Jesus as Christ. And God, we say thank you. Thank you, God, for saving us. And so, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, 
Amen. Amen. If you just prayed to God to receive the peace of God in your life, I want you to let us know. If you're on bigvalleygrace.org, through there, you can let us know through the contact card, the connect card there. If you're on Facebook Live, you can let us know through Facebook. You can contact us out at the church. Let us know. We want to rejoice with you that you are welcoming the peace of God into your life today. We want to rejoice with you and we want to be praying for you. We are so excited for you that today, today's a new day for you. Because the peace of God is now in you. Church family, it's been a real privilege to be in together in community today right now, having a worship gathering, to sing to the Lord, to be in communion together, to get into God's word together. This kicks off Holy Week. And we got a great week together with a lot of online opportunities. And so I can't wait to see you again online during Holy Week. Have a great day.